This week in the Dan Cave, it's football and football only. We've got breaking news from the world of college football. Mike Leach is out as head coach at Washington State because he's now the head coach at Mississippi State University. I'll tell you how that all went down today, how I feel about the move, why it made so much sense for both sides, and what's next for the Cougar football program. And the Seahawks get set to take on the Packers in the divisional round of the playoffs at Lambeau Field. It's been a house of horrors for Russell Wilson in his career. Will this time be any different? And what do we make of these Packers anyway? Are they really as good as their 13-3 record would suggest? So much to talk about today, so let's get to it. The Dan Cave is up next. Welcome to the Dan Cave. Here's your host, Dan Vienz. Well, it just goes to show you that's how quickly things can change. When I woke up this morning, Mike Leach was still the head coach at my alma mater. Now he's the head coach at Mississippi State, leaving Washington State University for the SEC. He is the new head coach of the Bulldogs. That news broken by Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports a couple of hours ago. So after eight years in the Palouse, the man they call the Pirate is taking his act to Starkville, Mississippi. And WSU is now searching for his successor. More on that in a little bit. But this is how it all went down this morning. Reports yesterday, first of all, that the AD for MSU traveled to Key West to visit with and interview Leach. Then nothing really since then. At 623 this morning, I texted Eric Briggs, who I've had on this show with me. And I, and I told him why I thought this made so much sense for Leach and for Mississippi State, and why I thought it was going to happen just when we thought he was going to stay put. All the jobs had been filled. We knew that he interviewed at Arkansas. There was some speculation he was a candidate for the Ole Miss job, but nothing happened. The university gave him his automatic one-year rollover, called it an extension, made big news out of it. Everybody thought, well, another year with Mike Leach on the Palouse. But I thought it would happen. I thought this late firing by Mississippi State would kind of create an opening. Then I went about my day, wrote my podcast rundown, going into that in detail, posted a column to Seahawk Maven, went to the store, made myself a sandwich, and before I could even take a bite of my toasted peanut butter and jelly sandwich, I see a report from Theo Lawson of the Spokesman Review in Spokane referencing the Thamel report. And less than an hour later, Mississippi State AD tweeted out a picture of Leach signing on the bottom line. It's official he has moved on to Mississippi State. Uh, it didn't seem to be that difficult of a decision for him. He changed his Twitter bio immediately. First of all, why does it make sense for Mike Leach? It's the SEC. Bruce Feldman, who knows Mike Leach as well as anyone in the in the journalism business, uh, co-wrote his best-selling autobiography, uh, Swing Your Sword, Um He tweeted this this morning. Mike Leach was really torn about leaving Wazoo for Hale State, but per source, he couldn't bypass this Mississippi State job because, quote, of the added resources, a much deeper local recruiting pool, and because it was a shot to coach in the SEC, end quote. Now, cynics and Mike Leach critics and even some of us Coug diehards would say, uh, how do you know how deep the local recruiting pool was? You didn't recruit locally, but that's a whole nother story. This is all about Mike Leach getting to the SEC. He wanted the Arkansas job, didn't get it. He wanted the Ole Miss job, didn't get it. Two years ago, wanted the Tennessee job, didn't get it. Well, he was offered the job, and then the guy who offered it to him was fired the next day. 
He wants to be in the SEC. He wants to play in that conference, in that part of the country against the big boys. Here's a little peek at what his schedule is like coming up in his first year with the Bulldogs. A couple of easy non-conference scheduled games, New Mexico at home at North Carolina State. And then Arkansas at home, Tulane at home, Texas A&M at home before a bye week. And then get this. These are his four games coming out of the bye week next year. October 17 at Alabama. October 24 at LSU. And then home games, October 31st against Auburn and November 7th against Missouri. This is what Mike Leach has wanted for some time. Tons of national TV games. Chance to go up against the best every year. Gets to play Auburn and LSU every single year. This is about ego. This is about wanting to prove that his system works in that environment against that competition. There are other advantages. There's less bad weather. It's more conducive to throwing the football. It is a better recruiting base. And that system is going to appeal to a lot of those recruits, especially on offense, obviously. It's going to be able to recruit the South. It's going to be able to get into Florida and Texas easier. It's going to be able to attract the top skill position talent. The top quarterbacks always go after the five stars. And he already has one in place. He has a young quarterback in place. Remember this name, Wyatt Rogers, just signed in the recent signing class. He's out of Brandon, Mississippi. Local kid. Chose the Bulldogs over the Cougs. And his dad coached Gardner Minshew. His dad is actually credited with teaching Gardner Minshew the air raid before he came to Wazoo and had all that success with the 11-win season last year. So Leach has to already like what he has in place as far as a signal caller goes. The question is always with Leach, can he be good enough on defense? But going to the SSC, SEC has to be a little more advantageous for being able to attract good defensive coordinators, especially given Leach's propensity for just letting his defensive coordinators do their own thing and being hands-off. I uh, have to believe that part of the negotiation process with MSU was, uh, you know, how much money can I have to, to hire a DC? Uh, it'll be interesting to see who he hires down there and who he takes with him. Um, it'll especially be interesting to see if ultimately he ends up taking uh, the guy to Mississippi State with him that he was going to hire at WSU because they're still without a defensive coordinator. But now they're looking for a whole new staff. Uh, but here's another reason I think it w- the timing was right for Leach. I think he knew he was facing a bit of a step back here with WSU. A lot of talent coming back, especially on offense. Depth on the offensive line. Tons of talent at wide receiver. A really good running back who we're going to talk about in a minute. And while the talent on defense is questionable as far as production and performance goes, uh, lots of speed and lots of young talent. But WSU was not connected in any reports with any of the top grad transfer quarterback prospects, which tells me that Leach was resigned to the fact that he was going to go with a young guy. It was either going to be redshirt sophomore Cam Cooper, four-star out of Utah, redshirt freshman Gunnar Cruz, four-star out of Arizona, or recently signed true freshman, four-star uh, out of Hawaii, Jaden Delora. Um, 
growing pains go along with young quarterbacks. Maybe he was expecting it to be a bit of a building year around a young quarterback in 2020. So if you're going to rebuild, why not take an opportunity to rebuild in the SEC? Now, why did Leach make sense for Mississippi State? Because we've talked many times on this podcast in the past about how, uh, regardless of how you feel about Leach, regardless of how I've felt about Leach in the past, kind of stuck with him unless he wants to leave on his own because he's not a fit for every program. The big boys are not going to come knocking on Leach's door. LSU, Alabama, Florida. Those, those schools aren't going to be coming after Mike Leach. It's too weird. He's too different. Doesn't exactly command a room. He can crack up a room. He could piss off a room. But command a room, command respect, not his forte. But Mississippi State was not content. They want to try and win and compete in the SEC now. They just saw Ole Miss, their arch rival, go out and hire Lane Kiffin. They wanted to match that move. Even though Joe, Joe Moorhead... Didn't fare badly. 14 and 12 his first two seasons. Beat Ole Miss twice. Went to two bowl games. Lost them both. Got fired. Other leading candidates there were Skip Holtz and Steve Sarkeesian. I don't think Sarkeesian's resume stands up to leeches in any way. Lots of questions about him. Uh, Skip Holtz, very successful at Louisiana Tech, but I don't think he had the sex appeal of Mike Leach. I think this just happened to be a situation where an athletic director wanted to make a splash. He wanted a team that would be entertaining on the field and a coach that would be engaging off of it. Okay. Careful what you wish for sometimes. Um, but Leach should win in Mississippi State. It's just a question long term. How long are they going to give him? They only gave Moorhead two years. How much of a rope is he going to get? Uh, and then and, and what's the ceiling down there? How far can you get in the SEC against those athletes, against future first-round draft picks when they know you're going to be throwing it every play? Think Apple Cup. Think Washington's defenders and the skill of their defensive coordinators. Figuring out how you can defend the air raid by rushing three and dropping eight. It'll be interesting to see it. I wish the guy my be the best. It's going to be a lot more entertaining watching him from afar when I'm not as emotionally attached. Obviously, you know how I feel about Leach. It's a love-hate relationship. Love what he did for the program. Absolutely love it. Uh, but my time with him was done. You can go back and listen to the episode after the Apple Cup for more uh, more of that passion and, uh, and, and directness. Um, and specifically, Mississippi State wanted offense. Tyler Horka of the Mississippi Clarion Ledger wrote this. Moorhead's tenure will be remembered for Mississippi State's shortcomings on offense, especially in the passing game. The Bulldogs ranked number 112 nationally in passing offense in 2018 and number 110 this season. Mississippi State did not exceed 240 passing yards in any single game this season and finished number 12 out of 14 teams in the SEC in passing offense. Did not exceed 240 passing yards in any single game this season. Washington State in 2019, 427 yards a game. The year before, 361. The year before, 367. The year before, 358. The year before, 396. The year before that, 464. Finished no worse than third in the nation in passing yardage the last six years. 
Don't know the money terms yet. I thought that might be a little bit of a hang up. They were only paying uh, Moorhead in the low $2 million range, 2.2. Leach was getting $4 million a year from Wazoo. Uh, Actually, Moorhead was 2.6 the first year, 2.9 the last year of a four-year deal. So Mississippi State may have stepped up or Leach may have given up some money in salary, knowing he would make up for it in other ways down there, especially if he succeeds. Uh, I think this came down to how bad Mississippi State wants to win and win soon and how bad Mike Leach wanted to coach in the SEC. I don't think he was desperately looking to get out of Pullman. But I think at the end of the day, he felt like many of us did. I think he may have felt like he could do – he had taken the WSU program as far as he could take it because he felt it was difficult to recruit up here. Now, I would argue he didn't try hard enough. He didn't recruit the west side of the state nearly as hard as he should have. Uh, but we'll never really know. Um, it's also closer to Key West. You know, it's an 11-hour flight from Pullman or 11-hour series of flights. It's about three hours and 50 minutes uh, from Key West down there. So that had to have some appeal to him um, too. So it'll be interesting. And now the question is, what does WSU do now? One thing you're going to hear, in fact, I bet if I opened up Twitter right now, I'd see it already, is WSU is screwed. They lucked out with Leach. They can't hire good coaches. It's a hard place to win. In fact, Matt, in fact, Matt Calkins already has written, well, he posted a piece that I'm sure was hurried to the Seattle Times already. Um, and the, the headline was deceiving. The headline said basically what I said, that, you know, some Yukuk fans are relieved that Leach is gone. You wanted him gone, but they're going to have a hell of a time replacing him. What I th- what the headline implied was exactly what I just said. Can't afford a guy. Nobody wants to be there. They're at a disadvantage. Not going to be able to hire someone who's established, who has a good track record. Going to have to go with an unproven assistant. And then the base of the story was just about how his personality is going to be hard to replace. Dumb. Dumb. I hate misleading headlines. Uh, also, that line of thought is BS. It's BS. Those perceptions were from pre-leach. The financial landscape was different. The TV money is much more substantial now. WSU, when they back when they hired Paul Wolf, had to go cheap. Had to bring home a guy f- that you know wanted to come home to the program from a from a non. FCS school because he'd work for pennies and he'd do it willingly. Not the case anymore. WSU was paying Leach $4 million a year. They were rolling that over every year. They can pay the right guy. Facilities were an issue before Leach. Not now. Top notch. And they're getting better. They're building an indoor practice facility now. Leach proved you can win here. And I would argue that he could have won more with a slightly different approach. It's also an attractive job for a number of other reasons. There's work to do on defense, but there's talent there, as I said. Lots of speed, lots of youth. And there is tons of talent on offense. Look for them to hire an offensive-minded coach because that guy knows that he can compete right now with what they have on offense. Regardless of young quarterbacks, there's a deep offensive line group. Those quarterbacks are talented. Take your pick. What style do you want? You want a big drop-back guy? Go with Cruz. You want kind of a hybrid? Go with Cooper. 
You want a mobile scrambler? Go with Delora. Super deep and talented wide receiver group. And there's Max Borgie. One of the most dynamic, all-purpose running backs in the nation who was underutilized as a rusher. No matter, again, what system you want to run. You can build around Max Borgie for a year because you come in and feature him. He's, he's going to declare early after his junior year and go to the NFL. What do I want to see? Um, I used to think they had to stick with the air raid. And I've already seen um, a reporter for SI.com today uh, said, look for them to do that. They'll stick with that scheme because they know it'll fit the talent on hand and and the transition will be easier. I don't think they'll make a short-term decision like that or a long-term decision like that just, to, just for short-term convenience. Um, there is a history of throwing the football and being entertaining at Washington State under Mike Price and Dennis Erickson before him. Um, and so you could stay with that air raid coaching tree. You could, you could go after a guy who hasn't been a head coach before, but may be ready. Sonny Cumbie comes to mind. Co-offensive coordinator at TCU for the last few years. Played quarterback under Leach. Has learned from Gary Patterson. Graham Harrell, maybe another guy. Coached under Leach at Wazoo and is now the offensive coordinator at USC. Is he ready to be a head coach? Don't know. And honestly, I don't care if it's air raid anymore. You're going to get an offensive-minded guy. I want him to be creative. I want him to be diverse. I want him to have more balance on offense and run the football when the game situation warrants it. But I want a coach that's going to come in and create tough, hard-nosed, physical teams that play with a chip on their shoulder. Get back to that us-against-the-world mentality. Go into the Apple Cup with something to prove. Like you want to knock off the big boy. No more of this. Eh, it's just another game. I want someone that gives him an edge. Um, I want someone that, that believes they can win here. That sees it for what it is. That falls in love with the, the remote kind of wheat field, farmland, isolated campus life and how much passion that creates among the fan base and get those fans excited. Um, and if he can bring someone with him that can coach some defense, that would be great too. Most of all, here's the thing though, and this is why I think this is a different time than any other time in the history of Washington State University when it comes to football. I trust Pat Chun. I believe that WSU possesses one of the finest athletic directors in the country. He was recognized as such when he was, when he was an associate AD at Ohio State. He was rumored to be sought after for the USC job. And he has nailed hires elsewhere in the athletic department since taking over just two years ago. Taking the baseball program to a new level, the, the women's soccer program to a new level, the women's basketball program to a new level. Nailed those hires. And now Kyle Smith in men's basketball already looks like a good hire. Coming off a weekend in which they pushed USC to the brink and beat UCLA. And... This time last year, WSU didn't even look like a Division I basketball team. 
In a statement today with Kirk Schultz, a joint statement with the president of the university, Chun wished Leach and his wife well, thanked him for his service, and then said, quote, now we look forward to elevating the Cougs to the highest levels of college football, end quote. This will be Pat Chun's signature hire. This will be Pat Chun's stamp on the football program. This will be his defining act as athletic director at Washington State, regardless of what he does with his career after this. He's not going to go trolling for some unknown assistant so he can save some money on coaching salary. That's not the way it's done at Washington State anymore. If you believe that because you want to believe it, because you don't want to believe that WSU can win, you're wrong. Pat Chun's going to swing hard on this hire. He's going to hire a name that you know, whether he's been a head coach or not. It's going to be someone you know and has instant credibility and the rest of the coaching profession and the people that cover college football in this country are going to point to this and they're going to say, Pat Chun just made a hell of a hire at Washington State University. Just watch. My favorite guy would be Brian Harson. I don't know if you can get him out of Boise State. He might just be Mark Few 2.0. Born and raised in Boise, played high school football there, played college football for Boise State. Was groomed by Chris Peterson, went off to coach Arkansas State for a year as a head coach, and then Peterson went to UW, and so then Harson came back home. He's been at Boise State for six years, 64 and 17 in six seasons. He's only making around $2 million a year. He's 43 years old. He only has a $500,000 buyout. He'd be perfect. But would he ever leave Boise? I don't, Boise, I don't know. If he ever was going to leave Boise, and he is that attached to his home city, I haven't checked on Google Maps, but I'm pretty sure WSU is the closest proximity attractive Division I coaching opportunity to his hometown. What is it? A 60-minute plane flight? 45 minutes from Pullman to Boise? It, it, it's always confused me and, and uh, baffled me that there isn't a direct road. It's not an easy drive to get to Boise from Pullman. Um, there's two different ways you can go, and they're both very much out of the way. But it's a short flight. Would he ever leave? I don't know. But if he would, well, that's a phone call that Pat Chun needs to make, and I'm sure he will make it. Unless he's already done his due diligence and knows that he would have no interest. Pat Chun, I assume, and I suspect, is uh, that type of athletic director that has already been on the phone, already had a plan in place for if and when Leach ever left. Uh, Nick Rolovich from Hawaii is another name, name being thrown around. Uh, just completed a 10-win season there. Don't know much about him other than he runs kind of that old June Jones run and shoot. Doesn't like to run the football. I'd take a hard pass on that. I mentioned the Leach guys, Graham Harrell, Sonny Cumbie. Um, guys I do not like. Don't talk to me about Bo Baldwin or Steve Sarkeesian. Jim Moore has already mentioned Rick Neuheisel. Please, Jim, you're a passionate coop. Stop. You should not want that. Um, 
couple interesting names popped up just before I clicked record. One is Jim McElwain, head coach at Central Michigan in his first year there. He's had an interesting uh, coaching ascension. Uh, he was a very uh, hot, sought-after offensive coordinator, worked under um, Nick Saban for four years at Alabama as his OC. Then got the Florida job, had a weird two years in Florida where there was kind of a disconnect between he and the administration there from the day he walked on campus. Just seemed like a weird fit. Just an odd fit. Didn't work. And even though he went nine and four in his first season there, he was he was ousted after his second year. Uh, it was just kind of a bizarre thing the way that went down. Uh, right before that, though, actually, he, he went to Colorado State, and that might be the best example. Three years at Colorado State, um, got him to 10 wins by their third year. Really turned that. I think they were a four-win team his first season. I think it was something like four wins and then eight wins and then 10 wins. Made Colorado State competitive before he went to Florida. Now he's at Central Michigan. And here's what I didn't know about Jim McElwain. I'd, I'd forgotten all about him after he left Florida. Had to Google him. Uh, played quarterback at Eastern Washington. And he's from Missoula, Montana. So interesting guy there. And he's, he's in his mid-50s, a little bit older than what I think or what I'd hoped Chun would target. But the guy's a proven winner. Uh, and he's an offensive guy uh, whose teams have also played solid defense, though. Uh, he'd be intriguing. Uh, but Alex Grinch is a guy getting the most traction right now. If you remember, Leach hired him as defensive coordinator um, six seasons ago. He was a defensive backs coach no one had heard about from the University of Missouri. Came in and made the Cougar defense a top 25 ranked unit nationally. Who would have ever thought that I could say those words about a Cougar defense? Parlayed that success into the co-defensive coordinator job at Ohio State with Greg Schiano, and, um, and then he got the job at Oklahoma as defensive coordinator and had a solid season there as well. Improved their defensive numbers pretty much across the board. Um, Lincoln Riley has talked to Grinch about being patient for his head coaching opportunity as Riley has maybe implying that, Hey, I'm going to go to the NFL here sometime soon. Maybe you should stick around. Uh, reportedly though, Grinch and his family loved it in Pullman for his three years here. And that's why it became three years. He was a hot name after his second year and everybody assumed he would leave and he didn't really liked it here. And if you remember when Leach infamously accepted that Tennessee job in November, of 2017, uh, and then they didn't get it because the AD was fired the next day. There were reports that uh, WSU administration um, had a succession plan in place and that they were going to offer a contract to Alex Grinch and promote him at that time. That was shortly before Chun took over. So I don't know. I don't know Chun's feelings about that. But I will tell you this Eric Briggs texted me um, again just before I started this episode and said that uh, there is already some talk down in Arizona on their local sports radio of Grinch being the can being the leading candidate. Um, I have also seen a couple things online. There is a report from um, a publication that covers uh, the Sooners. Um, and uh, that's been backed up by Bruce Feldman, um, that Grinch is um, a target of Chun and WSU. So um, this is all a very fluid situation. I was just kind of skimming some things right before I went in the air. I wanted to get as much information as I could. Um, according to Eric, the talk down there is that his staff would include Jim Mastro as offensive coordinator, 
Um, and Ken Wilson as defensive coordinator, both with ties to WSU, both coached under Leach. Uh, Mastro is now the running backs coach at Oregon. And while he's never really been a full-time offensive coordinator, he's mostly had the title of running backs coach. There are a couple of things he does extremely well. He coaches running backs. He's an innovator. He worked with Chris Alt for 11 years at Nevada. He helped design the pistol offense that made Colin Kaepernick a star and is now being used in some forms in the NFL. And he is also known as a terrific recruiter. I believe he was Leach's lead recruiter while he was here. That's intriguing because it kind of checks all the boxes. Ken Wilson, a highly respected defensive guy who the players love and respond to. Uh, Grinch is young and energetic, hard-nosed, all those qualities I mentioned before. Uh, that could be a very interesting team. So we'll have a lot more to talk about, uh, certainly in the days ahead. Um, I think it's solid timing in a weird way. It's late for this to be happening. All the jobs are kind of full. I mean, Baylor's still open right now. But the fact that Moorhead was fired sort of after the coaching carousel had thinned out allowed Leach to become a viable candidate for them. And now it puts WSU where in a situation in a situation where they, they don't have to they don't have to force anything. But I do think Chun will act pretty quickly. Uh, he did in the Kyle Smith hire, if you remember. There weren't really any reports or whispers out there of who's interviewing, who's a target. Next thing you know, Kyle Smith. Who's Kyle Smith? Well, guess what? He had a track record. He was successful and he was universally respected in the coaching community. I expect a similar hire from Chun. Uh, as soon as something happens, whether it's tomorrow or the day after, I will uh, record a reaction and we'll get a special podcast episode up. Uh, in the meantime, we have other football to talk about. I think there's something else going on this weekend. Oh, yeah. The Seahawks have made it to the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. Uh, they beat Philly uh, in Philadelphia, the Eagles, uh, by the identical 17-9 to score that they did um, when they played them six weeks ago in the regular season. And to me, this game was kind of a microcosm of the Seahawks' entire season. Um, it's sort of encapsulated exactly what this team is and how they win. The offense had stops and starts just when you thought they were going to get going. They'd, they'd have a promising drive that would be killed by penalties or, or Russell would just, just overthrow DK Metcalf who ended up having a huge game anyway, but just overthrew him on what would have been another 80 yard uh, touchdown. There were just near misses here and there. Defense gave up yards. We're getting gashed left and right, but stiffened in the red zone. Didn't give up a touchdown. Had seven sacks somehow, even though they only had 28 in the regular season. They did what they had to do and they came up big in big moments and got some big performances from people. Cody Barton, the rookie, filling in for Michael Kendricks at linebacker. Looked good. Really laid some guys out. Hits hard. Covers a lot of ground sideline to sideline. A um, couple of bullet points here. I think... I think Pete Carroll learned from that Dallas loss last year in this same wildcard round. He was skewered last year, and rightfully so, for sticking to the run even though it wasn't working. Not opening it up more and putting the game in Wilson's hands even though he was throwing effectively. Too predictable. Too many run-run pass sequences. Too many third and longs. 
This time, much better offensive adjustments, much better play calling. There were only two run-run pass sequences in the entire game. Only one of them started a drive, and that was the last drive of the game where they gained, uh, they were trying to run the clock out, a little less than two minutes. Philly had all their timeouts left, ran it on first down to try and burn the clock, got a yard. Eagles called a timeout, ran it on second down, lost a yard. Eagles called a timeout, and then they threw the 35-yarder to Metcalf for the first down and uh, that allowed him to run the clock out and seal the win. Um, when it became obvious they couldn't run the ball, they put the they put the game in Wilson's hands. Trusted him to do his things over his thing. Uh, 325 yards passing over 50% on third downs. Uh, the game could also kind of be exhibit A for the analytics community that's been saying for years, you don't, you don't have to establish the run or run effectively even for play action passing to be effective. Um, there's some NFL films game footage of Wilson mic'd up on the sidelines with Brian Schottenheimer telling him about how how he has all day to throw and he has huge holes in the Eagles zone to throw into because they're biting on play action. They're going to have to do that again this week in Lambeau. A couple of things to come out of that game I wanted to address. Um, the Jadevian Clowney hit that ultimately knocked out Carson Wentz. He stayed in the game for a couple of plays after that, but clearly it was the it was the play that he suffered the concussion on. Uh, a lot of Philly fans really going to the extreme in their criticism of of Clowney on that play, um, and it's almost like they all compared notes. It, it it's crazy. If one person says something crazy, you can write it off as one person saying something crazy. But the sheer volume of tweets from Eagles Nation, he should be banned from football. That's the most grotesque act of violence I've ever seen on a football field. He should be arrested and charged with a crime. That was assault. He should be prosecuted. I don't know what game these people are watching on a week-in, week-out basis. And granted, a lot of them are fueled by that barstool sports mentality. In fact, the president of barstool sports is apparently an Eagles fan. And he kind of inflamed this whole thing by saying that Clowney should be arrested. Um, just taking ridiculous to the nth degree. I've seen a thousand plays in my lifetime in football games that were more egregious than what Clowney did. I did think that uh, we were fortunate there wasn't a flag called on that play. But when you watch it in fast motion and the officials admitted afterwards that Wentz had become a runner at that point. He was across the line of scrimmage. He wasn't protected by the rules that apply to quarterbacks in the pocket. Clowney was just getting over there, leading with his shoulder, going after a guy who was diving for extra yardage, trying to hit, you know, hoping that he could maybe jar the ball loose. Led with his shoulder, but the helmet made clear contact. But it wasn't intentional. Saw another official analyst that said if it had been reviewed uh, for helmet to helmet, it wouldn't have been uh, deemed as an intentional uh, hit to the head. Uh, he was just hustling, making a play. He even admitted to Jason Peters after the play, apparently, or according to Peters, Clowney was remorseful after the play. Said he felt bad for how hard he hit him or that he caught his helmet. Um, nowhere near, you know, the hit that came to mind as far as just how it looked physically. Remember the hit uh, from Rob Gronkowski on Tredavious White um, two years ago? Or, or was it last year? Two years ago, 
Uh, White intercepts the ball. He's down on the ground. The the Patriots are up by 20 late in the game, but Gronk full on with all his body weight and momentum lowers his shoulder into White's back while he's defenseless on the ground after the play is over. That was a thousand times worse than what Clowney did to Wentz. Um, And he received a one-game suspension. So just back off the pipe. And forget about uh, banning Clowney from life or putting him in prison. Okay. I don't know if it would have made a difference anyway. Once it was one for four uh, at that point in the game, the Seahawks confused him and picked him three times in their last meeting six weeks ago. McCown was 18 for 24 for almost 200 yards. I don't know if Wentz would have been any better. Uh, another thing on Clowney that I wanted to mention after that Eagles performance too, is there was a lot of, there were a lot of Texans fans after he had to miss a couple of games with the core injury following the 49ers win on Monday night that um, came out and said, see, told you so. We don't miss him. Good ridden, soft, injury prone. I don't get that. Yeah, he missed 12 games as a rookie with microfracture knee surgery that the Texans knew about when they drafted him. It was a question in the draft process. That's a serious knee surgery that takes time for the body to recover from. And then after that, in the four years since then, he's missed six games for various things. That's pretty common for an NFL player. This core injury is probably going to require surgery after the season. And these injuries are no joke. Marshawn Lynch couldn't play through it, had to have it operated on middle of the season. Doug Baldwin couldn't play through it. It affects every movement you make. He says he feels it on every single play. But how hard he played against Philly and how well he played, um, it's impressive. His production uh, is vital if this team is to keep advancing and keep winning. And um, more proof Sunday that the Seahawks need to do everything they can to try and sign that guy as a free agent, keep him in the program. Um, what do we make of this Packers team? They're 13-3 and three and on its surface, that seems pretty scary. Um, but all I keep reading and hearing is, is how Aaron Rodgers isn't what he used to be, how he's not the play extending wizard. He used to be, he's 36. He's playing. I've seen some, some analysis that of, of the quarterbacks in the play, all the quarterbacks in the playoffs, even in the wildcard round, he was, you can make an argument. He was playing worse than any of them, but yet he threw for 4,000 yards this year. 26 touchdowns, four interceptions, rating a 95.4. Looks okay on the surface, even though it's the third lowest rating of his career. Um, they may be one of those teams that, uh, you know, they're, they have some really good wins. They blow, they've blown some teams out. Their point differential of 60, uh, 63 points compared to the Seahawks 0.7 or plus seven. Uh, but they have bad losses too. You know, whereas the Seahawks losses, they have the one bad one to the Cardinals and they got blown out by the Rams, but they lost close games to Saints and Ravens. Green Bay lost to Philly, the Chargers, the Chargers by two touchdowns, and then they got blown out by the 49ers. And they were down to a bad Lions team in week 17, the game they had to win to get a bye, down 17 to nothing, looked, looked uncompetitive in the first half against the Lions before rallying back to win in the final second. Um, on its surface, you would think 
and you hear Packers are better at running than they have been in recent years. Aaron Jones, thousand yard season, he looks dynamic, but yet they're fifteenth in the league in, in rushing yards per game. They have Aaron Rodgers, but yet they're seventeenth in the league in passing yards per game. They improved their pass rush because they signed Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith in the offseason. Those guys have combined for 25 and a half sacks. That's crazy, right? But they're 15th in the league in sacks per game. They're 14th in the league against the pass, 23rd against the run. DVOA hates the Packers. You've heard me talk about DVOA before. Um, don't want to bore you with the explanation. Go to footballoutsiders.com if you want more details. Stands for defensive value over uh, uh, average. Uh, it's just a, a way to rank teams statistically based on analyzing every single play that they run in every situation and, and assigning um, numerically uh, how successful each of those attempts are. Probability that a team ranked higher in DOA, DVOA plays another team ranked below them in DVOA, they're going to win the majority of those games. And it's been an incredibly consistent method of how good a team is and an indicator of how successful they'll be in the postseason compared to other teams. For example, that Seahawks Super Bowl team, 2013, eighth highest rated DVOA team ever. Um, right now, Seahawks and, and Packers, not too different. Seattle's eighth overall, fifth on offense, 18th on defense. Green Bay is 10th overall, 8th on offense, 15th on defense. But of the 13 win teams in NFL history, Green Bay has the second worst DVOA mark. And of the 10 worst 13 win teams in league history by DVOA rankings, none of them have won the Super Bowl. And only three of the 10 even made it to the conference championship game. Um, strength of schedule is the other thing that makes you scratch your head and wonder, well, maybe 13 and three isn't as daunting as it looks. Seahawks at the end of the season, based on 2019 results, the number one hardest schedule strength in the NFL. Number one, Green Bay was 17th. They have wins over the Redskins, the Bears twice, the Lions twice, the Broncos, Raiders, Giants, Panthers, and Cowboys. They have four wins against teams that fired their coaches. They only have two quality wins. Minnesota, week 16, to clinch the division. Good win, good solid win. But their other win that you would consider a quality win happened at Kansas City with Matt Moore playing quarterback, not Patrick Mahomes. So these are two very similar teams in that they're hard to figure out. They're not consistent. And if they play well, they can beat anyone. But if they don't, they can look really bad. And so as simplistic as it sounds, a team that shows up and plays well Sunday is going to win. Um, Russell Wilson, though, is going to have to overcome a historical pitfall of his. He's 4-0 against the Packers in Seattle, but 0-3 at Lambeau, including one of his worst performances as a pro. In 2016, when they lost 38-10 to the Packers at Lambeau, he threw five interceptions in one game. That's the game that 
Richard Sherman referenced when he said, I've also seen him throw five interceptions in a game. Um, in those three games, 57% completions, three touchdowns, six interceptions. He hasn't been good there. Uh, he has not been good. Uh, house divided this week in the Dan Cave household. Erica grew up in Milwaukee. I like to say she loves the Seahawks, but she lives the Packers. When they're playing each other, it's not a question. She's a Packer fan. She's a cheesehead. Um, we do it differently. She talks smack. I keep it humble. Um, <laughs> and uh, we'll see how it works out. Um, it's been mixed. Uh, that 2016 game... Um, I remember watching on her couch and it was very, very, very difficult. Um, last year we went to the game here together, her and her gear, me and mine, and it worked out in our favor. So um, I think this will be the, the tiebreaker. Um, usually though, usually I have a feel for these games. I'm not always right. It's why I don't bet on games, but I always have a feel strongly one way or the other. Not this week, not at all. I think part of it is just the great unknown is we don't know how effective the Hawks can be running the ball with Homer and Lynch. We don't know about that defense. Um, I worry that this offense is, has similar DNA to Sean McVay and the Rams offense and what the Niners do. And uh, the Rams in particular give Carroll and his system fits. We've had more success against the 49ers. Um, but maybe the fact that we've seen those guys so much this year, um, maybe we're more prepared for it. The fact we have Quandre Diggs back playing free safety, made it out of the Eagles game. Okay. Um, after missing a few games, that ankle sprain, uh, presumably he'll be even healthier this week. Um, he's familiar with the Packers has played against them many times as a member of the lions. He has played in Lambeau and here's a great stat that Corbin Smith of Seahawk Maven tweeted out this week. Uh, when you take away things like meaningless touchdowns at the end of games, um, it's or, or defensive touchdowns. Uh, with Diggs in the lineup, the Seahawks defense is giving up a touchdown less per game, seven full points less a game with Diggs back there at safety. So facing a guy like Rodgers um, really makes you feel a lot better with Diggs playing free safety, taking away those deep shots and defending on those deep balls. And it frees Bradley McDougald up to play strong safety. And he was fantastic against the Eagles as well. And he has said when he has Diggs back there, he feels like it frees him up more. Doesn't have to worry about whether the responsibilities behind him are being taken care of because they are. And so that helps. Um, Clowney's going to have to play well again. Jaron Reed playing for a contract is going to have to make an impact from the interior because uh, Ziggy Ansah is banged up again. Don't know what we're going to get from him, but um, it's going to be fascinating to watch this weekend. And and the way I, I enter into this game, obviously, do I want them to win? Of course. Do I think they can? Yep. It'd be, it'd be so cool for this team to play in a conference championship game after everything they've battled through this year and all the injuries. But frankly, Anything that happens now is gravy. Last week was the must-win game. Last week they had to win. Two years in a row being knocked out in the wild card round by a team that you should beat, that would have been hard to take. And I think there would have been some real questions about where the program's at, where Pete Carroll's at. What's the direction of the franchise? 
but now it's gravy. I've said to you before, I thought this was a three-year rebuild all along. And I, a lot of guys that I talk with that I, whose opinions I greatly respect um, agree with me uh, that next year with all the draft picks and all the cap space and everything else, next year has go for it written all over it. You know, whatever glaring weaknesses they come out of this season with on the roster, they're going to go fix them and, uh, and really, really go for it next year. Uh, win some games more decisively, be a more dominant, consistent team. Um, but dare to dream, you know, what if, why not us? This team is capable of playing with and beating anyone on any given day if they play well. Let's hope they play well on Sunday. Uh, Mother Nature is going to be a little more forgiving this time than she has been at past um, for playoff games in Lambeau. It's supposed to be clear, cold, 20 degrees, but very light winds. Uh, the only snow in the forecast, if it comes along at all, won't happen until after midnight, well after the game's over. So weather will not be a factor. That field at Lambeau will be in impeccable shape, given that they've been on a bye and they have, you know, they have natural grass there, but they have the most space age, high tech uh, heaters and drainage system underneath. That field's going to be in perfect shape. The weather conditions are going to be perfect for a January game in Lambeau. It, it could be just another epic game in the long and dramatic recent history of Packer Seahawk matchups. Um, I can't wait to get there. Um, between now and then, though, uh, if something should happen with the WSU coaching search, I will hop on and do a quick reaction reaction episode. Uh, until then, follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. Hit subscribe so you always are notified of new episodes here of the Dan Cave on a weekly basis. Um, leave a five-star review if you like what I do. That would really be uh, helpful. Uh, go to my Twitter bio, click on the link you see in my profile. It'll take you to my anchor page and leave me a voice message. Tell me what you think of Mike Leach leaving WSU. Are you scared? Are you afraid of the future of the program now? Who do you think they should hire? How do you think the Seahawks are going to do against the Packers this weekend? Give me your prediction. I'll play them on, on the show next time, and we'll go over those together. Um, thanks for all your support. Um, it's a pleasure uh, for me to hit record every week and do this and know that you are, all are listening and following along uh, with me. Once again, my name is Dan Viennes. You are listening to The Dan Cave. Until we speak again, go Seahawks, go Cougs, go Mariners. <laughs>